uh, I am excited about being here, so let's just jump in. I want to talk about a problem called loneliness. What we've discovered, I was looking at this interesting book I'm reading called The Science of Trust, and they did a study over here in Alameda of 9,000 people over 20 years, and two researchers, I'm assuming from the University of California, began to study what caused people, what was the major cause for people to pass away in this 20-year study over 9,000 people in Alameda County. Now, what was interesting about that was after they factored in diet and all the other things, they found that the key ingredient that seemed to cause or be closely associated with people passing away in the 20-year study, 9,000 people, was they either had good friends or were married or they passed away. It was the inability to have relationships which caused them to decline. Loneliness, in another study, suggests that it takes seven to ten years off of life. So I want to talk about relationships. I want to talk about what God says about it. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 37 through 39. This is a very famous passage. Most of you who've been in church for a while know this passage. It's the two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. What God is saying is that the goal of the Christian life, the goal of the life connected to God, is a life connected to other people and to God. That relationships are the key. Now, what I want to do is, because Dave has been resisting me for 10 years, I've been asking him to do a marriage conference at Bay Hills, and he's somehow just ignored me or said no to me. So I've decided to sneak it into this passage. And I've just decided to begin a marriage conference so that eventually, if you guys like it, then you'll have to invite me back to do a full marriage conference. And then I will have gotten in to do this thing. Okay. So this is how I'm going. I I told him I was going to do this and he couldn't stop me by the time I told him. So What we want to do is this, I'm going to talk about marriage, but I'm really going to talk about relationships because there's key secrets that we've discovered from the scriptures that can really help us. So let's take a look here and uh, hit this first one. We're going to talk about what I call marital intelligence. Now I've got some really good news for you. And the really good news is, hit this next one, that there are only five problems in marriage. There's only five problems. Isn't that good news? It's like a known thing. This is the way guys have to think. I need to know all of them, and I need to know how they work. And I wrote this book so that it kind of could be the Chilton Auto Body Repair Manual for Marriages. You can say, okay, your problem is on page 37, and and this is how you take the fender off, and you do that kind of thing. And what's amazing is is how many different people have been helped by it. So what I want to talk with you about is I want to talk with you about marriage, but really the same five problems exist within every company, within every relationship as a friendship, within the Rotary Clubs, within the Boy Scouts, within all these different things. If the relationship breaks down, it's one of these five or some combination of them. So are you ready to take notes and kind of learn some things? Okay, three people over here. This section here is just really not into it yet. Okay, let's just try this. Did you realize that whether you have good relationships or not will determine whether you live or die? Okay, therefore, are you interested in learning how to have better relationships? Oh, good, we woke them up. Okay, now they're ahead of this group over here. Now, let's try and work with this, okay? If you were to come see me in counseling, and I don't get the chance to do as much counseling as I used to, Uh, What I discovered was that married couples often come to a marriage counselor to try and be a referee for their last fight. And it doesn't help. You know, well, she said this, and which one of us is right? And what I've discovered is, is that if you get involved in that, it doesn't help. 
So what I discovered was is that if you come to see me, I draw this chart on a whiteboard and I say, there's only five problems in marriage. I'm going to tell you what the five problems are and then you're going to tell me what your problems are. Okay. And what's interesting, as soon as we do that, it changes it out of being a referee. And I get right to the thing because both couples, both people will rat the other person out as to what's really happening. So it's, it's just really, really wonderful. Then we get to the real meat of the issue and it really, really helps. Now, remember, this goes for your company. This goes for friendships and other things. So if you're not married um, or you're married and you don't want to be, uh, this can apply to other situations uh, as well. So the, the first problem in marriage, the first problem is the problem of ignoring needs. Every time you're in a relationship with someone, they have needs and they want you to meet those needs or you're not going to have a relationship. When you're in marriage, what happens is, is that you're married to a young lady or a young man and what they have needs. What's interesting is, is that men and women are completely different. They are completely different. It's fascinating how two totally different groups of people can get married to one or be attracted to one another and then kind of be shocked by how different they are. And uh, um, hit this next one there. One, uh, what I want to help you understand is biblically, when you fall in love with someone, when you love someone, it is not what you feel about them. It is whether you are going to meet their needs, pursue them, and please them. See, our, our world, our culture says, you're looking for someone to do things in you where you just go, and you feel things towards them. That's who you should marry. What the Bible says is, no, what love is, is you meeting their needs, pursuing them, and pleasing them. That will give them a good feeling. But a great marriage is built on both of you meeting each other's needs. Does this make sense? Now, that's the way marriage works biblically, and that's why it can work. Now, as we hit this next one. Now, Typically, I will tell you that a husband has seven basic top needs and a wife has seven basic top needs. Now, what's interesting is they're completely different. Now, this is the good news for you as men. You don't know any of her needs. You don't. And that's why it's always shocking to you why she's not excited when you meet your own needs in her. In other words, when you try and say, well, what do I need? Well, I need to have this and I need to have that. And you try and do that for her and she doesn't appreciate it. So what's interesting, I just like to tell men, just this is very exciting. You don't have any of her needs. Therefore, you need to learn what they are and begin to meet them even though they make no sense to you. You go, why would anyone want that? Because she's who she is. And so I, I wrote this book called Becoming a Godly Husband that lays that out. We've had a lot of successes in helping men understand what a wife's needs are. Now, ladies, I know you're all excited because you're hearing this and you're thinking, he's listening. This is so exciting. It takes a man typically three months to three years to learn a woman's needs. And he has to practice them because they're so different. Like I said, now let me help you Now, men generally, with very rare exceptions, do not know a wife's needs. On the other hand, I found that women know exactly what their husbands need. They just don't think he's worthy to have them met. <laughs> and when he finally shapes up a little bit, then he'll get a little bit, he'll, you know, that kind of thing. Now, that, that is not the way the Bible lays it out, but that's the way it's kind of working, okay? So now you have to understand, some marriages fall apart because Husbands are not meeting wives' needs, and wives are not meeting husbands' needs, okay? That's how it kind of falls apart. Now, 
One of the things that I usually recommend, and I have to kind of go through this quickly, is that if you're going to meet your, one of the wife's needs is to be listened to and talked to. So one hour every day, I sit down across from my wife and I pull up a chair and I just say, talk to me about how your day went. Tell me what's going on. And so I just focus on her because she needs to tell me about who she is, what's happened to her. I don't have that need. She has that need. Does that make sense? And so I meet that need. And she says, oh, that's sometimes it's like, she says, it was so wonderful. And I said, I didn't solve anything. I know. I just, you just listened to me. And we just had this. And it was wonderful. Okay. Now, what's interesting is, is that she has that need. So I give her an hour a day. Now, I can hear the guys going, an hour a day. Where am I going to find an hour a day? My goodness. She was vaccinated with a phonograph needle when she was born. She's going to talk, talk, talk. She has a need to interact with you, to talk with you, to have you listen, not behind the paper, not with the TV blaring, just focused, okay? Huge difference. Now, let's move on. The second, on the other side of the equation, what typically um, ministers to guys, not always, but many guys are in this place, where give your spouse 15 to 30 minutes of focused intimacy one to three times per week. I just had a guy come up to me because I was doing a marriage seminar about five years ago and he said, oh, you talked about that at this marriage seminar and it really made a big difference in, my, in our marriage. And now intimacy is code word for a word that starts with S and ends with X, okay? Now, and so we'll, that's as much as we can talk about in church, but that's a whole part of the process and guys and girls are different on that. One needs talking or emotional intimacy. One needs physical intimacy. We'll get into that whenever Pastor Dave invites me back to the marriage conference and we'll solve all those problems. But anyway, let's go on, okay? Number, yeah, the second problem in marriage is immature behavior. How many of you have ever been immature? Okay, a few, five of us in here are willing to admit it. The rest of you are lying and you're hiding. Okay, now, here we go. Now, what I want you to understand is all of us have been immature and in every relationship we will be immature, typically in one of three ways and maybe all three. So hit this next one. There's three levels of immaturity. And this is what I'm looking for usually if I'm counseling a couple. How immature is this couple with each other? The first kind of immaturity is thoughtless immaturity. Thoughtless immaturity is you forgot to do something. You forgot to call when you were going to be late. You forgot to pick up your underwear. You forgot to do this thing that he needed you to do. You forgot something. And he's just kind of, uh, in, in a biblical sense, it's a sin of omission. Something you should have done, but you forgot. Okay? Now, if that's true, you typically have to apologize. You just have to say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll try and do better next time, and here's how we're going to work with that. Okay, the second kind of immaturity is intentional immaturity. This is where you intend to send a message, and it's not direct. Now, you would think that if couples were adults and they got married to each other, they would say, I sense that you're not wanting to meet my needs. And am I causing problems for you? Could we talk about this? And you go back and forth. That's the way you think it would work. But nobody does that. Nobody does that. What happens is, is one person stays late at the office, the other burns the toast, someone plays golf too much, someone hangs out with their friends, and they're trying, or they're even worse, they send sarcastic messages. Oh, so you're home, huh? And, and you, it, you're, what you're really trying to say is, notice that I'm upset. And nobody does. Nobody wants to admit that. Does this make sense? Now, what you have to learn how to do is graduate from junior high. (laughs) Most of us learned how to deal with people in junior high. 
fact, I had the privilege of speaking to my daughter's junior high graduating class, and I was talking to her and her people up on the stage and all the parents down here, and I said to all of her kids, I said, I'm so excited that you're graduating from junior high. Most of your parents have not yet graduated. And then I began to talk to them about what their parents needed to learn so that they could learn it in eighth grade rather than waiting until 45. <laughs> and what you have to learn how to do is you have to learn how to say to someone that you're having difficulty with, can we talk about something? Because we're not really connecting here. And this is something I think I need and I really want you to be part of this. And we have to learn how to have hard conversations in a calm, easy way. Does this make sense? Okay, and uh, when Dave ever invites me back, I can tell you how to do that. Now, um, then the final way that we work with immature behaviors is destructive immaturity. Destructive immaturity are kinds of immaturity in which just doing it once sometimes can destroy the marriage, can destroy the friendship. Things like having an affair. Things like running drugs across the Mexican border. <laughs> robbing a bank. Embezzling $2 million from your boss. Now, I've had all of those in my counseling office, and they tend to destroy a marriage. Now, most of the time, the majority of the destructive immaturities is someone's addicted to something. Someone is addicted to alcohol, or addicted to drugs, or addicted to prescription drugs, or addicted to pornography, or addicted to cheesecake, or something else that causes them to avoid someone or some situation in their life, and this is the self-medication, okay? Now, by the way, more and more we're seeing sometimes, especially within men, sometimes video games can become an addiction where it allows me to avoid people contact. That doesn't, nothing wrong with video games. It's just if you constantly are there and you have to wear diapers in order to get the highest scores, <laughs> you may have a problem. Does this make sense? Okay, now let's just, just saying. Okay, now, now let's go on. The third problem, since we're already causing enough guilt here, let's move on. Okay, the third problem. Oh, let me just, let's just go past this. We already talked about it. Let's go on. Okay, one more. The clashing temperament. The third problem in marriages is clashing temperaments. Opposites attract until you're married. And then they repel. And they try and change the other person. And they say things like, how could you think like that? What would make you think that that was the way to do it? How could you come to the right conclusion in the total wrong way? And so what happens is, I've even said to couples, I cannot fix your marriage until you're willing to admit that not everyone has to be like you. That the reason why you have two people in a marriage and not just one clone is because God wants a team and God has some things you can do together that you can't do alone. Now there's, um, hit this next one there. All of us feel internal promptings or guidance to act in a certain way. One of the things I've noticed is that when my wife feels threatened or embarrassed or fearful, she gets very quiet. She gets very quiet. When I get threatened or I get embarrassed or I get fearful, I go exactly the other direction. I get loud, and I want to make a big scene. And we almost didn't get married because I took her on a date to SeaWorld in one of our first dates, and we were on the back row of the walrus exhibit, 
and the guy was training the walrus, and he was talking, and the walrus was doing, and I was louder than the walrus, the trainer, the microphone, and everyone else in the whole arena. And I thought, we're having a great time. I'm, having, I'm helping everybody have a party. And my wife thought it was a little excessive. Now, we have different impulses, different things that we do. Now, what we have to come to grips with is that's who I married. That's who that person is. Does this make sense? Now, there's kind of three or four things. Hit this next one there. The first level of clashing temperaments is ignorance. Why aren't you like me? I, I, I didn't know you were like that. If I'd have known, you know, is there a three-day back guarantee kind of thing? You, 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 you just don't want to deal with it. The second issue is acceptance. This is where you go, okay, I guess I just have to carry my cross. I guess I just have to put up with this person who's like this, who's dealing with this kind of situation. Who, who, and and you, you learn to go, okay, I, I, maybe I can make it work a little bit, okay? Now then the third place, the, way you, the place you want to get to is celebration, where you just go, isn't it wonderful you're like this? Isn't it amazing that you came up with exactly the opposite kind of idea as I did? God must have a way this works. I just can't figure it out. My wife and I constantly come to these situations where we have on our staff meetings and we have discussions and various kinds of things where I'll say, here's a problem we're facing. What do you think? And she'll lay out some things and I'll just go, I just said it the other day. I just said, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And I'm way past the thing when we first got married where I would go. <laughs> what I've discovered is, is that God gave this incredible, amazing person to me to help me come up with solutions and ideas that will trigger things that we would never have come to separately. Does that make sense? And if we put the two of us together, we come up with this amazing thing. But if it's just one of us or the other on our own, it's not as good. It's not as good. So we have to talk about this. How do I celebrate that this person is different than me, completely different than me? Now, uh, expect your spouse to handle everything differently and thank them for being different. Thank them for being. Find the positive in it. It is entirely possible that you can find the negative in everything, but that doesn't help the relationship, either in a friendship, at work. Have you ever... Have you ever noticed that at every workplace, there's a table or a group of people, kind of the, the table of lost souls? <laughs> who this is a horrible company. It doesn't do anything but hurt its employees. It doesn't really like us. And you just begin to share all the negatives. And if you stay in that group long enough, everything the company does and says and is is negative. If you get out of that group and you go to the positive group, that's the group that gets promoted and... It doesn't mean that the company doesn't do things that are bad. It means that your focus is on how do we move forward. Does this make sense? And you choose which group you land in. And you choose whether you get to be promoted. You choose whether you have a good relationship with the company. Now, there's no perfect companies and uh, that kind of thing, but, and just like there's no perfect spouses, okay? Now, let's go on. This is, I love this slide because this helps me so much. 30% of all marriage problems are solvable. 70% of all marriage problems are not solvable. In fact, did you know they've studied great marriages and bad marriages? And they've, this is where they came up with the statistics. In great marriages, there are 70% of the problems that a great marriage has 
that are not solvable. They'll never be resolved. And so you know what great couples do? They laugh about them. Oh, yeah, he always does that. Kind of silly from my point of view, but I love him anyway. Or she just does it that way. I don't know why, but isn't it great? Isn't she wonderful? Ha, 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 ha. And great couples do not fight and try and solve every problem. Does that make sense? They just go, this is who they are. Okay. In fact, and one of the reasons why many couples have problems that are unresolvable is they're around temperament issues or they're around how you were raised. They're around, and you were raised in a different thing. You go, that's the way they were raised. That's the way they were raised. And you just, my wife was raised that the proper way to vacuum was with an upright vacuum cleaner. I was raised in the correct manner (laughs) to vacuum with a vacuum that was a canister that ran along the ground. And when we came to the time to buy a new vacuum cleaner, of course, I suggested the correct kind of vacuum. And my wife rejected my suggestion. And you know what I have learned to do? Is because she is the major operator of the vacuum, I have come to enjoy an upright vacuum. Now, I will even operate it at times, even though I'm secretly desiring a canister that moves along the ground. And you just have to, you just have to go, okay, this is not solvable. It's just, this is the way it is. Okay, now, we're having too much fun. Let's move on. The fourth problem in marriages is competing relationships, competing relationships. Now, all of us have nine or ten relationships in our life, and those nine or ten compete with one another as to which one will be first and which one will be second and which one will be third. It used to be in our culture that pretty much God's imprint was on our culture and companies would say, hey, I know you need to be home. I know you need to have time with your family and I know you need to do this. And anymore, that's not true. Almost every company will say to you, I, we want to make sure that you treat us number one. We want to be number one in your life. Um, and many times churches will do the same things. Organizations will do the same things. And more and more companies, organizations, nonprofits, good places will help you destroy your marriage by pulling so much time out of your marriage that you will ultimately have no relationship. Now, I remember I've said to a number of people, I remember one couple I just said, I can't fix your marriage until you change jobs or move closer to where you work. And this one couple, they, because I, I tried everything and nothing was working, and I realized he was commuting an hour and a half one way and an hour and a half back. He came home completely exhausted, had nothing for his wife, and he was just kind of a limp wrist, you know, soda and pizza, give it in, watch the food, and then he went to bed. And then he got up really early in the morning. And so what they did was they sold their house, brand new house, sold their house, moved into an apartment five minutes from work, and their marriage flourished. I've also said to couples, look, I can't fix your marriage until you agree on how you're going to parent these kids because they're wild and no one wants to be around you or them and you got to agree. And that relationship has to be in its right priority. Does this make sense? So you come to an agreement and well, if you just tell her to agree on just you two come together and work this through now. So you have to work through the issue of the other relationships and how much time and energy. I also have had to say to couples, I can't fix your marriage until you stop trying to make the PGA. If you're going to try and be the world's best golfer, you won't have time to fix your marriage. Does this make sense? Or uh, whatever else it is, okay? There's just all kinds of things. Now, let's keep going. Oh, um, there's three levels. Ignorance, I spend my time my way. Second, 
rivals, I don't tell him or her what I'm doing because I don't want them to know. That's not necessarily helpful. And finally, we work our schedules together. We work together to understand what's going on. In fact, that's why I suggest this next idea. Hit this next one there. I recommend that every couple have a staff meeting every week to talk about schedules, children, finances, uh, chores, what you're going to do. Now, let me just help you understand. There is no business in America that is successful that doesn't have a staff meeting. It doesn't happen. And the most important business you're ever going to be in is your marriage. Now, my wife and I used to always have our staff meetings on Saturdays at 1 o'clock, and now we've moved it since the kids are gone to 4 o'clock on Sundays um, after I get up from my Sunday nap, and we have a staff meeting, and we talk about all these things to say, okay, what's your schedule look like? Because it makes all the difference. I just uh, helped one couple get married, and I did some premarital counseling to them, and they've been married about nine months now, and I talked to the guy's name's Nate, and he just moved to San Diego, great guy, and I said, how's it going? He says, oh, it's great. He said, it's great every single week, and except when we don't have a staff meeting. And we got so much stuff going on that we get fussing and fuming at one another because, well, I wasn't expecting I thought you were going to take care of the dishes. I thought, and he said, we have to really work it through and we have to have a staff meeting. As long as we have a staff meeting, everything works great. Now, oh my goodness, you are not listening quick enough. Okay, let's go on. Okay, you, 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 you with me here? Okay, so five problems. We're on the fourth. Now we're going to go to the fifth. The fifth problem is past baggage. Past baggage. Here's what happens when... You find Mr. Right or Miss Right. You are convinced you have found the perfect person, so you load up in satchels all of the problems of your past, past relationships, past people, past difficulties, and you go, and you put them down right in front of her, and you go, fix me. And then she makes the sign of the cross and begins to back up or he, they don't want to be your psychotherapist. And they're probably not equipped to do it. Interestingly enough, I did date a psychotherapist and did that, and she backed up. I don't want to, I, if we're going to have a relationship, I don't want to be your therapist. Now, what's interesting is that every single one of us probably has issues from our past that we need to walk through again. We need to process. Now, some of us have so significant of issues that we need to find a safe person to deal with. And we've been waiting for a spouse or we've been waiting for someone to talk to who will listen to us. But sometimes your spouse, in fact, many times your spouse is not safe in that way. Because after they've heard the story the hundredth time, they, here comes the Joe story. Here comes the Jim story. Here comes the, this. And what I'm going to suggest is that you find someone who is able to help you process what happened with some insight. That could be a counselor. It could be a pastor. It could be a therapist. It could be a really good friend who won't hold it against you when you tell them your real life story. Does that make sense? Now, let me talk to you about three kinds of past baggage that I've found that disrupts and discourages and can destroy marriages. The first one is victimization. Victimization. If you, a man or a woman, have been victimized in your past, 
could be mentally, emotionally, could be financially, could be sexually, or could be physically. If you have been abused by someone, you carry scars. You carry deep wounds and hurts. Now, you need to process that by getting it out and talking with a safe person. Does this make sense? Now, I know an lot of men, oh, I don't want to talk about it. That happened to me a long time ago. I know, but you need to talk about it with someone who's safe. Now, typically what I find that comes into my counseling office and counseling situation is that someone was victimized in their teens or sometimes even younger, and then at about, and they stuffed it, they pushed it down, and they didn't talk about it. And then what happens is somewhere between 35 and 55, they start remembering what happened to them. They start not being able to get away from it. And then they come, Pastor, why doesn't God just let me go back to the way it was? And I said, God gave you the gift of childhood amnesia. But now he's saying you're old enough to look at this with adult eyes and with adult understanding. So let's find a safe person. Let's find a person who can handle hearing about this and give you insights as to what happens, give you a way to get away from it, give you a way to deal with it, and that kind of thing. Does this make sense? Okay, you got to deal with that or it then twists and distorts you so you can't respond to your spouse. I've seen a number of marriages get broken up just because the husband is dealing with stuff in the past or the wife is dealing with stuff in the past and the, their spouse becomes the, the person from the past and they rage at them. Don't let that happen. Now, the second kind is family and cultural patterns. We all learned how to live from our parents. We all learned how to be what we're supposed to be from our parents. Now, I remember working with one couple, and they were just an absolutely delightful couple. I loved them. And they came into my office. We're about to get divorced, and we just check in with you, Pastor, before we do. And I said, and I checked through all the problems, and we came to pass baggage. And I just, I finally figured out, after weeks, I figured out this is something in the past. And what it came down to when they were really honest, when she was really honest, was when she was raised... Her father got up every Saturday morning at 6.30 in the morning, put on rubber gloves and rubber boots. And he woke up the whole family and everybody put on rubber gloves and rubber boots and they did chores all around the house for five and a half hours. And then mom would make sandwiches or lunch at 12 and they would celebrate how much they got done. And that was a sign that they were hardworking, they were a righteous family. Well, in his family on Saturday morning, you slept in. And somewhere around 8.30, the kids got out of bed and climbed into mom and dad's bed, and dad turned on cartoons. And you watched cartoons till 11.30 with mom and dad, and everybody's yucking about, you know, Donald Duck and everybody and everything, Bugs Bunny. And then at 11.30, dad slipped out of bed, and he would go make waffles for everybody. And you'd have waffles at about 11.45 noon. And she just fumed with how lazy and horrible he was to teach the children to sleep in on Saturday. And I finally said, you know, this is just dumb. You, you both have come from great families. He's a hardworking guy and you're a hardworking lady and you both love your kids. Why are you going to destroy your family over Saturday morning? Because it's not right what he does. <laughs> and we just had to work it through. We just had to work it through. So I think what they did was they had one working weekend and one waffle weekend. And, you know, now they're still together as near as I know, having a great time, doing well. 
But you have to realize that sometimes your family's way of doing it is not the only way to do it. Does that make sense? And so you have to have that discussion, okay? Now, then the third is past actions. Past actions are the issues of things you've done in the past that can destroy your present if you don't process them. I remember one guy who came to me and he was saying, I think my marriage is going to break up and we worked through everything and couldn't find out what it was until eventually he told me what had happened in a previous relationship. When he was in high school, he dated with this one young girl for a long time and then finally about 17 years of age, they made a mistake, she got pregnant and rather than have the baby, um, he paid for her to have an abortion. He drove her to the abortion had her have the abortion, put her back in the car, drove her back home, and then never talked with her again. And didn't say anything about it. It was wrong on so many levels. Then two or three years later, he met this lady who became the love of his life. He got married. They had kids. And then when they've had their first kid, it brought it all back to him. And he became a grouchy, grumpy person who needed to work through his issue. He then needed to, he talked with me about all of this stuff, got it all out. And then she, he, I said, you have to apologize to the woman that you hurt and wounded and did all that with. Then you have to go to your wife and tell her what happened. So he did all that. And what's interesting is they together said, let's volunteer to help young couples not have to make the decision you did. So they volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center to team together so that the hurt that he caused in the past doesn't have to be the hurt that happens to other women. Does this make sense? And so that was a wonderful solution, but it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't gotten it out. He would have destroyed his own marriage. He would have destroyed it. Okay. Now, one of the things I recommend for most couples is that you as an individual spouse give your wife or your husband the gift of you going to counseling. I remember I'd talk to a lot of guys and I'd just say, give your wife a gift for Christmas that you're going to go to five sessions of counseling. Well, I don't need counseling. I know. But you're setting a precedent here that maybe if there's anything, they can help you. And I have this wonderful counselor that I recommend people go to, and uh, it's just amazing. And then one guy said, I don't know about this, Pastor. I'm just doing this because you're telling me to do it. And then he goes, I went, and he said, in 10 minutes, the guy had me cry. I don't know about this. But he said, all kinds of things came out. He's growing as a man. He's growing as a person, as an individual. And you know what's happening? His marriage is improving because he's changing. Does that make sense? It has nothing to do with her. It has nothing to do with their marriage. It has to do with him. He's growing. Now, the hope is eventually she'll say, well, maybe I could go too. And he say, well, if you force me, I'll let you. <laughs> what we have to learn is sometimes we have to grow together. Now, let's go on. Here's the next one. Learn to forgive or you will be in torment. Learn to forgive. Learn to let it go. I just read an interesting study that was done in Harvard University in 1952 and in 1954, they studied college kids and they asked them, what do you th what's your relationship like with your parents? And everybody came from all different kinds of backgrounds, some horrible parents or whatever else. And they had little things, is your, is your relationship good, warm and friendly, distant, cold, or really icy? And what they found was, they found, they tested, they asked those people that they tested in 1952, 1954, they tested them 35 years later in their midlife. What's your life been like? And they found 91% of the time, the people who had a distant or icy relationship with their parents, even if their parents were horrible, they had serious medical issues in their own life, 91% of the time. 
couples, people who, individuals who had warm relationships, they, they tested them and they found out that they only had medical issues 47% of the time. So twice as much opportunity to have serious medical issues because of a lack of forgiveness. Let me just say, other than myself, you probably didn't have a perfect parent. My father's absolutely perfect. Comes to this church, he's absolutely amazing. 93 years of age, um, still firing around, just doing great things. It's easy to love him. Even if you had a bad relationship with your parents, find a way to let it go. Find a way to just say, hey, that's them, it doesn't have to be me. Don't hold on to it because you're the one who hurts yourself. Now, last one. <laughs> Next slide. There, they found it, okay. How many problems are there in marriage? Five. Five. How many problems are there in relationships? Five. Five. You can do something about each one. I'm excited to be able to help you understand the Bible has some answers, some key answers that you need. Interestingly enough, I've twisted David's arm to let me stay till next week in order to talk about some more. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is to pray and see who you could invite who may need to know more about how to fix their relationships and maybe their marriage. Would you bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I come in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Pray that you would direct us. We just want to be open to what you want to do, Lord Jesus, to embrace us, send your Holy Spirit to teach us to be more loving, even when we don't want to be, to meet needs when we'd rather have our needs be met, to admit when we've been immature, bless, encourage, and keep us, walk with us. May we begin to build great relationships with you and with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.